It's time for Heatwave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heatwave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. In the fourth quarter, that was craziness, Tom. You talked about it. 62 points in the fourth quarter. I mean, you're it, it, after just after we just talked about the Iowa South Dakota State game, 62 points, completely outrageous. North Carolina gets the win by two, and uh, now moves to two and zero on the season. But uh, Mac Brown can't be happy exactly when it comes to uh, the defensive performance for his Tar Heels in this one, but. I guess, you know, when you go on the road against kind of an upstart program in Appalachian State who, you know, finds ways to, to knock off some of the big dogs occasionally, you got to uh, gotta be happy if you're in North Carolina, you go on the road and get the win there. How about uh, North Carolina State barely surviving there? I think they're overseeded. I thought they could be a good team this year. Uh, they're, they're rated as a top 15 team, barely get out alive in a place, one of the best party places in the country. East Carolina, the poor kid, the poor kicker, who was an all-conference kicker last year, misses the extra point and misses the game-winning field goal. Uh, they win 21-20. They survive. North Carolina State, look, we try not to make too much of week one. I wasn't impressed with them to be a top 15 school uh, right now. I, I'm even less impressed. I think that North Carolina State got a little exposed today. I think they did. Look, you're talking about uh, a matchup against ECU. It was kind. Of, it had to take some of the wind out of the uh, sails of the Pirates when you have, you know, you have an, uh, you know, what looked like could be a much more severe injury to your quarterback there in the first half. You thought uh, they were going to be, it was going to be tough sledding for ECU, but uh, it ended up being that way as North Carolina State ends up holding on for the victory. But it was more, you know, late, late non-heroics, I guess I should say, by special teamers that end up costing them that football game. And now we'll see exactly what uh, the status is with this quarterback moving forward for East Carolina. And uh, a tough start to their season, obviously, going 0-1. All right, last question about today's game. Then we'll take a look at uh, tomorrow and Monday. How does Scott Frost still have a job? Look, he goes out there. And I, I was a Nebraska fan growing up, right? I mean, I, I loved Osborne. I got a Tommy Frazier jersey. I watched the program. And – Every single year, I try to make excuses for why this guy has just been bad. He cannot win in one-score games. I went on a tirade last week screaming that he must be fired. They can't let him come back from Ireland. And I said, you know, I think you're going to learn a lot about Scott Frost and how this team views him, how Nebraska comes out against North Dakota. They didn't have rest, okay? So we we get that. They didn't have the rest that Northwestern's going to have. They didn't have the, the break. They were... Didn't have the practice week. You're in uh, Ireland. You have to fly back to Nebraska. It's a devastating loss. I get it, okay? But they were tied with North Dakota in Nebraska 7-7 at the half. Now, look, 
to their credit, they win 38-17. But this was ugly. Scott Frost has just got to go. I can't make any excuses for him anymore. The whole team just doesn't respond to him. The program needs something else, Chris. And I'm saying this after a 38-17 win because just the way they went through the motions in the first half, it was a terrible sight to see in Nebraska. Yeah, real real tough uh, state of affairs right now for Nebraska and their program as, uh, you know, they essentially suffered, what, their uh, seventh straight loss and the losing streak sitting there. you got uh, an embattled head coach in Scott Frost. He's been there for five seasons, and we all understand what the expectations are in Lincoln when it comes to Nebraska football, regardless of if they're in the, pat- the Big 12 or now the Big 10. Their expectations are to be one of the top-tier teams in those conferences. That has not been the case. And Scott Frost, look, you, you cannot you cannot make Ryan Helinski look like, you know, Drew Brees out there throwing for over 300 and a couple of touchdowns and letting the guy basically rally in front of, you know, 42,000 plus at the uh, the Aviva Stadium in Dublin, Ireland. You can't have it. You can't have it. I feel like, you know, uh, uh, Robert De Niro from from uh, Goodfellas. You know, I can't have it, Tommy. I can't. And, and yeah. Nebraska fans are absolutely not having it. And, you know, obviously, Scott Frost, look, he's not calling plays on offensive season, but he did have one big call when he ordered an onside kick and it doesn't work. That's not good. And now he's facing even more pressure with Nebraska's losing streak being, being where it is. So, uh, look, I, I will give a little credit to Frost where he acknowledges this and says, look, you got to win in this business to keep your job. That's the way it is. I love the state of Nebraska. I love the fans that sacrificed to come over here, but we've got to get this turned around. So he's, you know, I, he's got kind of the right mindset, I guess, where he understands, you know, the moment. He understands the program that he's at and what he needs to do. It is a classic case, Tommy. We talk about this all the time, whether it's football, whether it's basketball, whether it's, whether it's baseball with a manager. And it appears that Scott Frost has lost the locker room there with the Nebraska Cornhuskers, and it looks like they're going to be in a situation where they need to move on. I don't know if he's ever had the locker room. That's my problem. (laughs) I don't know what happened. You know, I thought he was a good coach. I don't know what happened. Maybe it's just the pressure. All right, let's talk about tomorrow. Um, We have LSU, brand-new coach going to LSU. LSU is not quite at home, but, sure, they're playing in their home state against Florida State. Florida State, look, I watched a lot of that first game, and they didn't cover, but they were, look, they were 43-point favorites. They won by 40. What I saw with Florida State, they have a three-headed rushing attack that can run on anybody. They can run, run, run. I watched defensive backs that are really, really good. They were, agility-wise, flying all over the field. Just fantastic. But in that game, they had pressure, a hard time getting pressure to the quarterback. In that game, I watched what I watched for the last couple of years with Travis, their quarterback, which is just uninspiring play. I I look at the spread, and I, I assumed LSU is at least a touchdown favorite. It's only three. I, I know you get three and a half. Seven, it's only three, which makes me scratch my head. I get it. LSU is kind of in, in a brand new restart, a new head coach. But, Chris, they're at home, they're, basically, right? I mean, they're at home. It's a lot of enthusiasm surrounding them. It's an SEC team. I expected the spread to be more. And all of a sudden, it's got me scratching my head, and I'm going, did I undersell Florida State? Maybe because I've been so down on them. Give me your take on tomorrow's game. LSU, as you mentioned, playing in Louisiana. 
Now I would uh, I'd push back a little bit because it's not exactly the, the the juju voodoo that is you know Baton Rouge and playing at Tiger Stadium, but they are playing at the uh, Caesars Superdome there in New Orleans. You talked about the coaching matchup, Brian Kelly, in his debut as the LSU Tigers head coach going up against uh, the likes of Mike Norvell, who now is in his third season. We just talked about Scott Frost, right, Tommy, and what they need to do at Nebraska. How about the expectation for Florida State? This is a program also that is, for, for, for all intents and purposes, most seasons, it's, you know, national championship or bust. And, uh, and Norvell, look, he's, he's, trying, he's finishing with losing records each of his first two seasons there. Uh, despite the fact he was able to get that, you know, 47 to 40 or 47 to 7 win last week against the likes of Duquesne. Big time matchup, Tommy, in this game. It's going to be that Florida State game, right? Against LSU front. You got that trio of running backs, by the way, that all three of those guys had over 100 plus yards rushing last week. And you also have Jordan Travis, who can also make plays with his feet, you know, as well as through the air. And an offense that had over 400 yards on the ground last week. So. Look, you'd like what LSU offers from a defensive standpoint on that line with, uh, with Ali Gay, with, uh, with Ojolari, as well as uh, Mason Smith there, and a uh, line back in court led by Micah Bakersfield that will help gaps. That is going to be a huge matchup, is, is uh, that front seven for LSU taking on that running game for Florida State. It's going to be big time. Now, look, you've got Travis in his fourth season, Tommy, there with the Seminoles after emerging as the top quarterback last year. Uh, you know, being a tool, dual threat guy, uh, his career highlight absolutely was that uh, three-point victory over Miami last season where he had, what, 336 yards in that game, total offense, including a 274 through the yard or through the air and then like 62 on the ground. And he also rushed for two TDs in that one. So uh, Travis is going to have to be a big-time player, but uh, I think this is going to be a close one. I really do, and I think that uh, – that Florida State, I just think, has more experience from the offensive side of the football, and I think that's going to end up being the difference for the Seminoles in this game against the Tigers. And I'll tell you, it's it's a defining game for both head coaches. Uh, Florida State Seminoles, that their fan base is just going, okay, Norville, we've given you a couple of years, like you said. Um, you know, you, we got to start winning games like this. we got to start winning games where it, it's a good school, it's a close competition. They need this win. Norville needs this win bad. But, I, I mean, if LSU goes out, they get their brand-new, shiny new head coach that's dancing with recruits and stuff, right? <laughs> you go get that and you come out with a loss in game one, uh, LSU's fan base is not going to stand for that either. So I think it's a huge game for both head coaches specifically to go out there and they've got to get this win. I, if this line was like seven – I actually would feel better with LSU because it's three. I'm shocked. Everyone's going to overbet the SEC. Everyone's going to bet on LSU. All of a sudden, I'm starting to go, you know, I'm not t- taking the game. But if I was going to, I- I'm starting to like that three, three and a half. Where are you leaning? You, you're, you're, you said Florida State. Are you taking the three and a half? Are you going money line? I'm taking Florida State money line. I just think offensively they're going to be able to do things against, uh, you know, uh, there, look, there's still a lot of pieces there at LSU that are inexperienced when it comes to the defensive side of the ball. So I think Florida State's going to be able to do some things, not just on the ground, which they will absolutely be able to run the football, Tommy, but I think they're able to do some things through the air as well, too. And, uh, look, I, I have all the respect in the world for the likes of Kayshawn Boutte, who is essentially a Blitnikoff award candidate, uh, you know, who comes to action after he, he missed the last seven games last year with that ankle injury. But before that, the guy was just unbelievable. Uh, including including that game against Mississippi where he had like he broke all those SEC records uh, for receiving in that game. 
But I mean, look, with the exception of him, I'm not really uh, petrified of all things LSU offensively. So I'm taking Florida State in this matchup, and uh, I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident about it. All right. Okay. I, I, my wife will be real happy to hear that. Plus 120 you get uh, in a couple of spots out there. I know there's a lot of 115s, but hold after that 120, Chris. I think SEC is going to be bet pretty heavily tomorrow uh, to, to push you up a little bit. All right. How about on Monday? Talking about the ACC, Clemson, Georgia Tech. Clemson was about a 20 and a half, 21 point favorite. It opened up and skyrocketed up to 23. And, and to me, it's not nearly enough. Clemson comes in with a ton to prove. It was quote-unquote, and I'm doing air quotes on radio, folks, was quote-unquote a down year for Clemson. DJ, the quarterback, just, I mean, look, there was so much put on this guy's shoulders, from Watson to Lawrence to now you're the guy. And he just flat-out didn't perform. But he was really young. It doesn't mean that he can't now perform. Georgia Tech, I had two under bets this year. Under Colorado losses, you know, I, I don't think that they win four games. I loved it, minus under the three and a half. And I love Georgia Tech team total under. They come back with the least returning starters in the ACC. This is a game where, and I'm not overshooting this, Chris, this is a game where I think Clemson wants to humiliate Georgia Tech. I think that Dabo and DJ want to say, we are here. Last year at this time, DJ, he was – a Heisman Trophy candidate, right? And now all of a sudden no one's talking about him. I think he wants to place the flag, say, we are here, watch what I can do. I think they throw all day. I think they absolutely destroy this team. And I'm not overshooting it when I say, I'm not sure Georgia Tech scores a point. I mean, that's how bad it is for the Yellow Jackets. They are one of the teams that I am looking at to fade all year long. And I jumped on Clemson minus the, I got a 20 and a half number uh, about 10 days ago or so, 20 and a half. I don't care if it's 23. It doesn't matter to me. I think they absolutely spank this team. This is a number four Clemson team, Tommy, that saw their six-year run, right, of ACC championships and, and, and college football playoff appearances, by the way, come to an end a year ago. And even in that quote-unquote down year, Tommy, they were able to rally with a six-game winning streak to finish with 10 wins and and had 10 wins for an 11th consecutive season. The standard of excellence under Dabo Sweeney is through the roof, and they're right back there where they were as far as being in playoff contention, even after undergoing you know one of the most significant single-season staff turnovers that they've had right since Sweeney was promoted to head coach there. You've got Brent Venables now hired away to replace Lincoln Riley at, uh, at Oklahoma, so he's no longer there. Uh, and you've got Tony Elliott, who's now uh, replacing uh, Bronco Mendenhall over Virginia. So there, there's a lot of turnover from a coaching standpoint for Clemson. But I'm telling you, you you've got uh, you got DJ. I don't even want to try to pronounce his last name. Uh, a prospect coming out of high school, and he's you know looked true freshman back in 2020, and uh, he actually starred and played pretty well in relief of Trevor Lawrence. You know when when uh, Lawrence was sidelined with that, with COVID back in 2020, and you know, he's he's dropped some weight this offseason. He won the starting job, heading the opener. And he's, you know, he's absolutely uh, won the job away from five-star freshman Cade uh, uh, Klubnik, you know, who, who actually presented him some competition. So uh, Monday night's going to be the first game against Georgia Tech, the first of many for uh, the comparisons between the two quarterbacks. And I, I expect uh, DJU uh, to grab a hold of that QB1. 
You've got Collins also, you know, entering a pivotal year for Georgia Tech where, you know, after he took over a program from Paul Johnson where he, you know, kind of wanted to get the Yellow Jackets away from the option offense and kind of get them more into a, you know, a standard uh, type of deal from that side of the football. And and doing so, he's gonna, it's going to take rebuilding the roster. With, you know, the, it's going to take more than one year, right, Tommy, with Georgia Tech. It's not going to be a one-year fix for this program from a recruiting standpoint. So it is absolutely a rebuild when it comes to Georgia Tech. And I am on board with you. I think that it's going to be real tough sledding for the Yellow Jackets to even score any points in this game. And I think Clemson should be able to uh, handle their business come Monday night. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's Yui Agalele. I, I, I love, by the way, I absolutely love him. Don't want to say his name, Tommy. It's tough. It's hard. It's a hard yeah, one. It, I, look, I called him to a T for a while. I studied how to, how to say it. I still called him to a T for a long time. <laughs> uh, you know, me, me being uh, following Washington football for a long time, they had a lot of the Polynesian names, and it always, it always tripped me up. I knew how to say them, but I didn't want to butcher it on the air. So I get you, man. That's why I call him DJ. And, and he's fine with it. it it's perfectly okay. Um, Chris, we're going to have to take a quick time out here. When we get back, I want to talk a little NFL. When we get back, I do want to talk a little bit about baseball. We're going to preview. Let's talk about that Bills-Rams. But I also want to hear from Chris. Who does he have winning the Super Bowl? Who's his MVP? Who's his surprise team? What about maybe Coach of the Year, Coach Fired? We'll do a little mini preview. Me and Tim are going to come back tomorrow, finish up our full preview. So I'm not going to give any of my things tonight, but I want to hear from Chris. Guys, go check out TomBartonSports.com. Tom Barton Sports over on Twitter. TomBartonSports.com. I went 2-1 today. Okay, I'll take two and one every single day. And that's usually what I do on a Saturday. I give two or three plays out. My biggest play, though, okay, which is a double play from what I gave out. My biggest play, I gave it out for free. You guys can go to Twitter. You can go to Believe on the Believe Podcast Network. I give a, a the free play. It's a free play. It's my best play. I said it's my I'm slam dunk play. It's going to crush it. Was the Baylor over? Baylor over was 43 or 44, depending on where you're shopping. They won 69 to 10. The over was over within a couple of minutes in the third quarter. My exact sentence was, Baylor's going to get here alone. We don't need any points. And we, we, we really didn't. What a laugher. Go check out TomBartonSports.com. You're going to get all of this. You're going to get every play that I give out. If you sign up right now, you're going to get 30 days of plays. Every single play that I give out for 30 days. That includes the NFL. That includes College football, that includes Major League Baseball when it comes time, college basketball, NBA, NHL, you get everything at TomBartonSports.com. Go check it out. You sign up right now, you get all my college futures, you get all my NFL future plays, and you'll already start looking ahead to the NFL week. Go check that out. All right, now let's take a quick time out. Come on back when we do. We will get into the NFL. I got to hear Chris's take on Russell Wilson getting absolutely paid. Lamar Jackson sitting there with his hand and his hat and saying, hey, any, anybody want to give me any money? Because they still have not paid him. All that and more right after this right here on Wave Sports. Are you ready? Now back to Heat Wave Sports. All right, guys, hour number two, Heat Wave Sports. Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com and Chris Wynn sitting in here for Tim Unglesby today. Go check him out over on Twitter. It's at Christian Wynn, W-I-N-N, at Tom Barton Sports as well over on Twitter. We just had a final for those that were laying the 23 points 
Washington against Kent State. You won. You covered. Don't worry about it. 45 to 20, Washington beats Kent State. And Washington has a, has a schedule coming up. Uh, they have a couple of interesting games, UCLA at UCLA. That could be interesting. They have a game against Michigan State. But there's a real chance that Washington could start the season 6-0. and I mean, there's a real chance. And I'm not going off of this game. I think that there's a program that is building in the right direction. Uh, two minutes, 30 seconds left. Fourth quarter, Oregon State leads Boise State 34-17. Boise State had a shot in this game. They started to come back a little bit. And the minute they came back, Oregon State just said, no, no, we're just going to keep scoring. Uh, they're at about the 40-yard line. So I'll, I'll let you know if they kind of creep back into this thing. But down 17, two minutes to go. But doesn't look like it. And, and laying the short that. number two, Tommy, in that game, by the way, it was uh, I two and a half. So a lot of you know a lot of people uh, that did take the the Beavers in that one are uh, looking pretty solid. Yeah, there's no. I'm not. I'm not worried about that at all. Yeah. They, there's not enough time to do anything. Even if they score, you don't worry about it. And then at the half, Western Kentucky's leading Hawaii twenty-one ten. Why? Hey, they're hanging in here. Seventeen point home, uh, sixteen and a half point. Home underdogs on the island after what they showed against Vanderbilt. Uh, yeah, that, that was a little rough. All right, so look, that's college football. College football Saturday is just about done, and we're all looking forward, all pretty much done with our fantasy drafts, all pretty much just, just ready, right? We're just ready for the NFL to begin. But before we get into the NFL Thursday, before we get into any predictions, we did have a little bit of news. Russell Wilson got paid. I mean, we all knew it was going to happen. When Denver kind of pushed their chips in the middle of the table, Denver said, we're going to go out here. We're going to pay Russell Wilson. We're going to go out here, and here you go. You're going to be our guy. You all kind of assumed that this kind of contract was coming up. The future Hall of Famer, and I have no problem saying, yes, of course, Russell Wilson's going to be a future Hall of Famer, is going to be the face of their franchise. They're putting everything all together for him, and he got paid, and he got paid really well. Russell Wilson has done nothing for the team, but he deserves it. Russell Wilson is the guy. I get it. I have no problem with them paying him. I, I, I have no problem with them going out there and opening up their wallets. But it does start a ripple effect with a guy like a Lamar Jackson that is still waiting. Deshaun Watson got paid. You know, you go look at Russell Wilson got paid. Even a Matt Ryan got paid. And Lamar Jackson still hasn't gotten paid. So give me a reaction about Russell Wilson. And then what kind of the ripple effect here with Lamar Jackson? Not ultimately surprised regarding Russell Wilson, you know, ever since the Broncos essentially landed him, right, Tommy, in that franchise-altering trade this past March. You've heard the general manager there, George Patton, talking about it was the team's, one of their major goals was assigned to a long-term extension. Now they, you know, were able to do that on Thursday. You've got uh, Wilson getting that five-year deal at uh, two, $245 million extension, uh, it's the third most lucrative contract in NFL history in terms of guaranteed money, only behind uh, Deshaun Watson, which is a joke, by the way, that he got $230 million from the Browns. But, you know, I'll, I'll digress there. And, of course, Kyler Murray with his $189.5 million deal as well, too. So if you're the Broncos, you're happy, you got your guy. You know, you set that uh, deadline to do a deal before uh, the season of midnight Wednesday. It was done. So now you've got your guy who is on the back end of his prime. Look, Russell Wilson, 33 years old, you know, is on the other side of 30, which is, uh, I guess, with, uh, you know, a lot of the star quarterbacks in the NFL, not really a big deal, right, Tommy? Uh, 33 is relatively a youngster. 
And uh, the extension essentially pays Wilson, you know, his uh, two years remaining on his previous deal uh, signed with the Seahawks at an average annual salary of $49 million. So I wasn't surprised, and I think that uh, the Broncos are absolutely happy with the situation, as is Russell Wilson, because he got his money, and it's a team that is going to be competing in a loaded-up AFC West this year. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch, Mr. Barton. What about Lamar Jackson? I mean, you know, he said in whatever it is, uh, five days from now, or well, six days from now, he will not talk about the contract. He will not talk once the season starts. Doesn't want the distraction. Yeah, look, he's better than Kyler. He's younger and more accomplished for his team than what Wilson has done for the Broncos, which is nothing yet. He has a legitimate argument and a, and a very good beef going out there. He's representing himself, though. And I think this is ultimately hurting him because he is taking so much risk. But I think it ultimately is going to hurt the Ravens because if Lamar Jackson has the kind of year that I believe that Lamar Jackson is going to have, which is an MVP caliber year, I believe that the Ravens are going to win that division. I believe the Ravens can compete for a Super Bowl. It's just going to cost them. It reminds me of the Yankees in the Aaron Judge situation. Um, now another guy gets paid. Now another guy gets the money, and his price tag just goes up. you agree with me that this actually hurts the Ravens more than it hurts him? I don't think there's any question, Tommy. And think about it, right? And it was uh, I was bouncing around ESPN yesterday, and they were talking about this. If you're Lamar Jackson right now, you're texting Russell Wilson, right? You're saying, dude, you're killing me right now. Yeah? Cause, because Russell Wilson essentially did the Broncos – a huge favor, right? And you got the Ravens, the Bengals, the Chargers, anyone else who's, you know, is eyeing a big quarterback negotiation over, you know, when you're talking about the likes of Jackson, when you're talking about the likes of, of Joe Burrow and of course Justin Herbert, anyone who's who's looking at someone who's eyeing a big quarterback negotiation, you know, can send him a thank you note as well. You know, Kyler Murray, Derek Carr before him, you had Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes, you know, even, even everybody but Kirk Cousins before them essentially. You know, uh, you know, and Wilson just essentially declined to push the envelope when it came to guarantee. So until the top-end quarterbacks start doing that, there's no chance, Tommy. There's no chance the NFL players are going to see any meaningful progress, you know, towards the types of fully guaranteed deals that, uh, that you'll see in, in the likes of the NBA or even in Major League Baseball when, uh, when it comes to their counterparts, right, and uh, what they automatically get in those leagues. So, uh, look, the NFLPA – and agents around the league have had high hopes for Wilson's deal, setting a new standard for guarantees, but it's hard, it's hard to see how this deal moved that market really in any way at all, right? And, uh, and it's easy to understand why the top quarterbacks uh, don't insist on guarantees. They don't need them because the top quarterbacks never get cut. So until they start getting them, no one else will. And the, what, the deal, what this deal essentially means for the, uh, for the bigger quarterback market, unfortunately for players, is more of the same. How about a, another quarterback that, you know, who went to a new team and then the team basically looked to trade for somebody else? The new team that he went to basically said, we don't, we're not investing in you long term. The new quarterback for that team is Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz goes to Washington. Carson Wentz, did, you know, his team kind of tried to trade for Baker Mayfield. Carson Wentz then didn't, you know, he didn't go there. Uh, with any other expectations, but didn't get any guaranteed money after the season. Taylor Heineke's on the on the backup list. You go, okay, no problem. Wentz plays well. He's going to be good. Reports coming out of Washington are that Sam Howell might be the future. He has been lighting it up in camp. 
There is absolutely no guarantees after this year. And it gives a team like Washington, me and Tim both talked about it on the air last week. We both expect Washington to be bad. We both expect Washington to be out of the playoff picture. And if they are, all of a sudden, doesn't Sam Howell have to get a look here, Chris? Doesn't Sam Howell in game 10, 11 have to start getting a look, which could spell the end for Carson Wentz as a starter on this league? No question about it. This absolutely gives the upper hand, doesn't it, Tommy, for the Washington franchise as opposed to Carson in this position Carson Wentz to be in. You're trying to kind of reboot your career there, you know, given that you kind of bounce around here after, you know, kind of the storybook uh, start to your career, I guess I should say, in Philadelphia, which didn't end greatly. But, you know, look, it's a it's a it's a scenario where you look at it from a, uh, where, where who has the leverage in that situation. It's absolutely the Washington Commanders. Now, uh, I would also argue, too, that if you're a franchise like Washington, and what's the old adage that we always say regarding quarterbacks? Well, if you have more than one quarterback that you're willing to roll with, that means you have zero. So I kind of have, you know, kind of have an impression regarding the commanders in that way where, look, it's fine. Love coming Sam's way and having expectations that maybe are elevated considering him. But it's not a, a great scenario to be in if you're Washington from an offensive standpoint. If you have a, you don't have a definitive number one there, or you don't have, AKA Carson Wentz, right, Tommy? There with solid footing, as the starting quarterback. That's not a good thing, if you're a Washington Commanders fan, or if you're just the franchise overall, on that on the offensive side of the football. Chris, there is no question who's going to be the starting quarterback moving forward for the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen, MVP favorite according to the betting list. Uh, Josh Allen, and the number one quarterback going off of everybody's board for fantasy stake. Matthew Stafford had the magical season, came over from your Detroit Lions, from uh, the outhouse to the penthouse, and went on to the Rams, wins the Super Bowl. He is locked in, and now we're talking about Thursday's game. Somehow or another, because Buffalo is so inflated, they are the Super Bowl favorites. And look, I took Buffalo two years ago to be the ascending team. I took Josh Allen last year to win the MVP. I think Buffalo last year to win the Super Bowl. So th- this is not a slight on, on Buffalo, who I had winning it last year. I had Josh Allen last year. But they've ascended so high. The line is now three in some places. They are giving the hometown in their stadium Super Bowl Rams three points on Thursday night. And I can't make heads or tails of it. Look, my initial reaction is I think Buffalo wins the game. My initial reaction for Thursday night is, okay, you know, I think that the Rams have a little bit of question marks with Stafford's elbow, but I'm not overly worried about that. I am, however, worried about their backfield. Akers is a little bit banged up, obviously. Henderson isn't 100%. I also sit back and I go, as good as Bobby Wagner is, and, and he is fantastic, I still do worry about their run defense a little bit. Josh Allen can create things. He also added some players. But, look, they're going to be without White on the defensive side of this game. I, I, I can't make heads or tails of this game. I think Buffalo wins, but I also think it's a lot of disrespect to give the Super Bowl champions in their own building three points, and it's crept all the way up to three. The total sitting at 52. Everything in me says to go under. But this is going to be just one of those watch games, Chris. I don't think I'm betting it. I think I'm just going to sit back and really enjoy this. How do you see this one playing out Thursday? 
it's going to be a lot of fun given, you know, the caliber of those two teams that are playing the opening game of the season in the NFL, Tommy. Make no question about it. And you talked about kind of, uh, you broke it down from a handicap standpoint uh, very well, by the way, in the way that you're talking about this football game. As someone who's kind of like a, an everyman, you know, not exactly a professional handicapper, but someone that does cover the NFL and follow the NFL, it, I, I can understand why the Buffalo Bills are getting so much respect and why they're, the expectations are so elevated because it is, there really is a real possibility that this could be the team that could uh, get this franchise off the schneid, right, Tommy? We're talking about a, a franchise that has been to the Super Bowl multiple times. It's been a while since they've been to the Super Bowl, but it is a franchise that is very proud and that has had success over the years when it comes to the AFC, and it just seems like their year. It seems like that they have the squad, they have the coaching staff, they have the chemistry that it's put together. I mean, you take a look at it, Tommy, and we're going to have our obviously our, our NFL preview show next Saturday when you're here in town on the Las Vegas Strip, and we're going to have a chance to, to kind of break down everything, all things NFL, and make our predictions. There is a reason why, Tommy, that talking heads across the board – whether it be just people that are on radio or television or professional handicappers, there is a reason why a majority of people, when you look at the AFC, have the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl. It is absolutely legitimate. And that, therefore, you know, when you see it's look, it's the opening game of the season, so you don't want to go too crazy with it. But you can understand why they're a team that's getting, uh, that's giving points on the road, even against the likes of the Los Angeles Rams. But, I mean, I, I talked about the talking heads, Tommy. Uh, every I mean, you go on. I go on NFL.com today, doing some research before the show. I mean, everybody, almost everybody. I'm talking about like 95 percent of the people have the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl. Now, what's interesting, Tommy, is that it's not a consensus whatsoever. Are in the NFC team that's in the Super Bowl. Some some people out there have the 49ers under Trey Lance emerging as a star. Some people have the Philadelphia Eagles under Jalen Hurts emerging as one of the top quarterbacks in the league. A lot of people believe he could be a guy. A lot of people have the defending champions, and a lot of people have the likes of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers also in the Super Bowl. The only other team, really, that is getting talked about as far as Super Bowl love, Tommy, when it comes to the AFC, is the Los Angeles Chargers, which is a little bit surprising to me because I think the division, they're going to eat each other alive in that AFC West, and I don't clearly see the Los Angeles Chargers being a clear-cut favorite in that division. But I digress. It is going to be a lot of fun to watch come this, this coming Thursday. And, look, there's a reason why we get the, you know, two marquee teams here in 2022 going against each other. It's because you have the defending champion in the Los Angeles Rams playing at home, and you've got you know, the perennial, essential Super Bowl favorite in the AFC, in the Buffalo Bills, on display in the first game of the 2022-23 season. And look, I don't want to poke holes in Buffalo, but just look at what they did last year. And, and there's a certain type of team that can beat Buffalo. And to me, to beat Buffalo, you have to run the ball real effectively. Or you just have to, you know, kind of get a little lucky. Kansas City got a little lucky. They beat him in overtime. Tampa Bay got a little lucky. They beat him in overtime. If you want to go to overtime with Buffalo, you could do it different ways. But their losses last year, forget about the Jacksonville thing, which we have no idea what happened. Pittsburgh beat them. What did they do? Ran it, ran it, ran it, ran it. Tennessee beat them. Ran it down their throats. New England beat them. Ran it all day. 
it's rare to find running teams that can really do damage this year. And you start to look at the landscape, and this goes to game one. This is why I wanted to talk about game one. Do I think that maybe the Rams will take it to overtime and, and get a little lucky? Yeah, maybe that maybe they will. But they're certainly not going to run it down their throat. And I look at the AFC and I go, okay, the teams that can hurt this team are teams that are going to be able to run. I think the fact that the Rams won't be able to run gives this Buffalo team an advantage. It, it's one of those weird situations where there's not many, I uh, will call them Achilles heels here for a Buffalo, but that could be one. You see an Indianapolis team. You see a Tennessee team. You see teams that can just absolutely run it all day long. That could give the Bills some problems. The Rams are not that team. And you look at what gave the Rams problems last year, scrambling running quarterbacks, which certainly Josh Allen can be. So a matchup X's and O's also favors the Bills here. And I'm not trying to talk anybody into Buffalo, but this is where I'm going with my mind. Uh, you know, I know that we're going to do uh, uh, finish up our season preview tomorrow, but I wanted to talk to Chris about not only the game, which doesn't look like you have a, a, a definitive lean for either, but overall, you know, can you find holes in Buffalo? Can uh, uh, is it fair to say that they can struggle against running teams? It's absolutely fair to say that. And look, I mean, I, there's there's a lot of love Buffalo's coming Buffalo's way, not just because of Josh Allen, what he brings to the table, not just because what, what their receiving core is, but because they they made some off season moves that were absolutely difference-making, right, Tommy, when you're talking about the likes of Von Miller and Roger Saffold, right? Those are two guys that have been brought in that can absolutely make, and, and, and they're going to be a big part of whether or not, not only do they win the AFC East, but can they make a serious run at representing the AFC in the championship. But you get this matchup coming up against Los Angeles uh, on, on Thursday, right? And the Rams, look, this is a Rams team that uh, I think Allen Robinson is primed to be unleashed, Tommy. I think this is a guy that could perhaps had the best season of his career despite already being he's already one of the one of the best in the game and then you got Bobby Wagner there in the mix right Bobby Wagner there in Los Angeles with the Rams he could also enjoy a kind of resurgence I think that's going to be big for the Rams so I'm not so quick as to you know talk about Los Angeles and think that they're just going to get rolled over here by the Buffalo Bills but I, I think the hype is real when it comes to the Bills and there's there's just a lot of sentiment out there that this could be the team that could, you know, that could that could break that ceiling, actually get a full victory, and uh, and uh, look, it's not going to be it's not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination, and it's going to start right there in their division where they've got to go up against the likes of uh, you know uh, an upstart kind of Miami Dolphins team there, and uh, and then you know the New England Patriots or just the Patriots who uh, I'll, there's a lot of people that I that that I respect and that I listen to say that they think the Patriots are going to take a step back. But I'm kind of in a believe-it-when-I-see-it mode, right, Tommy? When it comes to that, I still want to actually see it on the field where the Patriots actually slow down and are not, uh, you know, throwing a monkey wrench into the situation when it comes to the AFC East. What about MVP? Uh, Josh Allen is leading the way. I have four fantasy teams, two I really, really, really invest a lot of time in, and I care about a lot. Josh Allen is my starting quarterback in both. Number one overall pick in a two-quarterback league should have been Josh Allen. I was number three. Somehow or another, he fell to me. I love it, okay? Josh Allen is everything. I had him last year for the Super Bowl, for the MVP. I had him as a Super Bowl MVP. I loved him last year. This year, I just don't see the value. I think there's too many competitors. Everyone's falling in love with Herbert. 
you know, you still have a look, you still have that guy in Green Bay that I can't stand, and Aaron Rodgers is probably going to put up big numbers. Uh, Buffalo becoming a more complete team means Josh Allen maybe not running so much. I can't count out a Joe Burrow. I, I can't sit back and count out Patrick Mahomes, who I think is going to have a chip on his shoulder. Russell Wilson just got paid just in his own conference. I look at Josh Allen and I go, okay, for talking MVP, maybe when we make our picks, maybe I go sit back and I go, okay, I'll go Josh Allen because I did it last year. Kind of want to do it again this year. But from a betting perspective, I can't touch this. He's the, he's the favorite, and there's just way too much competition. What do you think? Yeah, it's going to be interesting regarding the MVP because you it, right now Josh Allen's a clear you know, leader in the clubhouse without question, in my opinion. But there are some intriguing options where you can get, you know, that dreaded word value when it comes to handicappers hate the word value, but I'm not, I'm going to toss it out there anyway. When you take a look at the likes of Russell Wilson, when you take a look at the likes of Justin Herbert and Tommy, I'm going to throw this other name out there. And I kind of already teased it earlier on the show, Jalen hurts in Philadelphia, the ceiling on this Philadelphia Eagles team, obviously is a Super Bowl run in the NFC, right? And if he's right and, you know, the uh, the chemistry with the likes of A.J. Brown and what they can do offensively and Jalen Hurts, what he brings to the table from a characteristic standpoint, I think there is absolutely opportunity there if you're going to take a look at that from that standpoint. But make no mistake about it, Tommy. Uh, you know, it's it's Josh Allen right now. And, yes, as you pointed out, there's other guys that could be X. And if all things go right, for those individuals, one guy even left off. One guy left off who I think should be in that mix too, Pat Mahomes. Okay, Pat Mahomes, we understand obviously Tyreek Hill is now in Miami with the Dolphins, but people kind of sleep, in my opinion, on Juju Smith-Schuster. I like him at the wide receiver position. I don't know yet if he's going to be a true number one that's going to be explosive, but you also like what they have there in McCall Hardiman, right? Hardiman was a guy who was able to go out there and put up some big-time games at times, make some big-time plays. I think that, you know, Pat Mahomes, a guy, absolutely, Tommy, absolutely has a chip on his shoulder because people are kind of saying, yeah, you know, you you might have to take a back seat to all these other young guys, you know, which is kind of hilarious saying that about guys other than, you know, Pat Mahomes. Like, he's he's not some ancient quarterback. But there's other guys that people are looking at, obviously, when I'm talking, we're talking about Josh Allen and Justin Herbert and others. That, that people are focusing on, I think Pat Mahomes takes that personally, and I think that offensively, they don't have Tyreek Hill there anymore, but I still think it's going to be an explosive team, and Mahomes could absolutely be in the mix when it comes to the, the MVP conversation. Yeah, I brought that up before. Last year, mm-hmm. when they did the NFL's top 100 players and Patrick Mahomes wasn't number one, he went to Twitter, which he doesn't do this. He went to Twitter, and he had a little guy taking a note, and you go, you know... Patrick Mahomes got, got a little braiding in him where he feels disrespected. But Patrick Mahomes right now, 6-1 to one odds on Josh Allen. Patrick Mahomes is the number two guy in the clubhouse where, right there with Tom Brady at about 8-1. to one. Rogers 9-1. to one. Herbert, you can still get at 9-1. to one. I know Tim kind of likes Justin Herbert. You go down the list. You said Jalen Hurts, 25-1 to one odds there. I think Lamar Jackson has a shot at 20-1. to one. What about Derek Carr? Now look, Vegas loves Derek Carr. People are going crazy about him. He got, you know, Devontae Adams. If they somehow win that division, he's going to be 25 or 30 to 1. What are you feeling on Derek Carr? Interesting, because I was going to work that in, Tommy, right? In the next couple minutes, 
because I am here in Las Vegas, right? And we God talks of Raiders. Derek Carr obviously is also viable. The the only question and the only reason I would kind of hold back a little bit, Tommy, is Josh McDaniels, right? I mean, it's it's and he's bringing the New England attitude and offense here, and I just don't know. Look, I understand that they should be explosive, right? When you have Dar- the likes of Darren Waller and Devontae Adams and even Hunter Renfro, who gets slept on a little bit in this offense, and you've got the rotating running backs like they're going to do with Amir Abdullah and, and, and Zaire White and obviously Josh Jacobs here, they're going the, to pull the Brandon Bolden and uh, you know the whole new thing going, when it comes to the running back situation. I just don't know, right, Tommy? I don't know if Derek Carr is going to be able to put up those numbers. I think he could put up solid numbers. I think he could be a guy that, can, and, and by no stretch of the imagination am I sitting here saying that Derek Carr is going to be some game manager out there, but I just don't know if he's going to be able to put up the numbers that the likes of even the people in his division, you know, even the Pat Mahomeses or the Justin Herberts or even the Russell Wilsons are going to put up in this. I still think the, the Raiders are right there when it comes to competing for the division title and being a playoff team. But I don't know, Tommy, if, if, if Derek Carr is going to be able to have those electrifying through-the-roof numbers that he would need to win the MVP as opposed to some of these other options at the quarterback position and beyond. Yeah, I mean, look, the one piece of advice, a sports betting advice I would give to anybody, just don't take anybody but a quarterback. <laughs> you yeah. know, I talked about this on my Sports Garden Network show over at sportsgartengartn.com, and you guys can go check all that stuff out Uh and, you know, I, I said, look, it's now become a quarterback's award, right? When you have a Cooper Cup year, which was the greatest wide receiver year in the history of the sport and barely got any MVP votes, that's followed a couple of years ago when Michael Thomas broke every award, every record, barely got votes. Derrick Henry rushed for 2,000 yards, barely got any MVP votes. It has become that the MVP is a quarterback award, offensive player of the year, well, that goes to the other positions. And you, you really hear people pushing, well, if Christian McCaffrey's healthy, and well, if this happened, well, Jonathan Taylor. No. Guys, it's going to a quarterback. Chris rattled off the names. Just in the West alone, you have four legitimate MVP quarterbacks, and they're all candidates. You throw in guys like the Burrow and this, you can get to 12, 14 quarterback names before you're really going to get a viable, viable option from another position. Just think about history. Michael Thomas, record-breaking, didn't get a sniff. Cooper Cup, greatest wide receiver in history for a single season, by far, didn't really get a sniff for MVP. Jonathan Taylor last year, I don't know if he got a vote. Last year or two years ago, Derrick Henry, 2,000 yards, didn't win the MVP. So it's going to a quarterback. Make sure you go get some value. I, I Look, I don't like the Hurts pick only because I think that they run too much, but I like the direction. Um, there's value in 25 to 1. There's value in I took Lamar Jackson, and I told you guys this about three months ago, at 25 to 1, he's down to 20 to 1. Still a little value there. Not that I don't think Allen and Mahomes could do it. I just don't love the value. I don't I don't love the value on Brady. Um, how about the other guy? And there's a last name, and they'll take a quick timeout. What about your guy, Matt Stafford? I know he's got the elbow issue, okay, but he is on a team that might just dominate the NFC. The NFC is weak. That he, he might dominate the NFC. He's got Cooper Cup. He's now got Allen Robinson, which you said. 
Why can't Matt Stafford win this thing? And he's got odds about 20 to 1. I'm going to be interested, Tommy, to see how Matthew Stafford reacts to the circumstances that he has faced here in the last, you know, five, six months. He went from a Detroit Lions franchise that was wallowing in either mediocrity or well below mediocrity throughout his most of his career. He had the storybook season, you know, much, uh, you know, where he not only gets his first playoff win, but he absolutely wins a Super Bowl, and he was an instrumental part of that. So I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily on board with Matthew Stafford coming back this year and kind of duplicating that situation. Now that being said, uh, I, I'm kind of amazed, Tommy, and I'd love to get your take on this. I know we're getting, getting up against a break. I'm kind of amazed at the at the way that Matthew Stafford is looked at as quarterback in the league, right? Before last season, Stafford, you could not get anybody worth their salt when it came to the NFL talking about him as a top 12 quarterback in the league, much less what he is now. He, now he goes out, has one year, right? And he had pretty, very, really good stats last year. He was he was, and he was, a, and he was a really good quarterback last year. They win the Super Bowl. Now, whenever you see anybody talk about lists, right, of, of the best quarterbacks in the league right now, a lot of people, most people have him as a top six quarterback in the NFL right now. To me, that is amazing. And I, that just kind of like tells you, you know, uh, we, we, we really do reflect on what we see last of what a person's done in the league. And Matthew Stafford is a perfect example of that. And uh, I think he takes a step back, though, from a statistics standpoint this year. Uh, I, I do think that they're going to be right there. And I, I, and, but I don't necessarily think that they're going to be the team that comes out of the NFC. And I think that uh, I think it's one of those deals where Stafford kind of comes back to earth a little bit, as does this Los Angeles Rams franchise. All right, let's talk uh, a little bit about baseball on the other side of the break. I want to get your ta- your thoughts on a little Major League Baseball. I-, I-, I am feeling pretty down, pretty upset. I'm annoyed. I'm not the only fan base that should be annoyed. I want to get your take on what's going on, spiraling teams out of control. Plus, I'm going to give you a forum. You said you want to talk WNBA. I'm going to give you a five-minute forum that-, that you could talk about it. Not me, but you could talk about a little. Uh, Did I say I wanted to talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> All that and more right after this, right here on Heat Wave Sports. All right, guys, welcome back to Heat Wave Sports. We're going to take this to the end of the hour. Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com. Chris Wynn sitting in. We're talking all things sports. We went over a little college football, went over a little NFL, and I know everyone's excited about football season. It's going crazy. It's great. But baseball season is still here. Baseball season is still in play, and we do have some things going on that, I mean, look, I don't want to overstate it here, Chris, and I don't want to be dramatic, but Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone ruin everything that's good in the world. I, 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 Tell us how you really feel, Tommy. Come on now. I'm not trying to be crazy. (laughs) But, you know, the New York Yankees are five games up in the division now. The Yankees are reeling out of control. Aaron Judge hits his 52nd home run. It's going to be one of the greatest years in the history of baseball. And the fans can't even enjoy it 
because of the disaster that Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman have put together. The Yankees are a team that I saw the demise quickly. I saw the demise going on, and everyone said I was crazy. Um, it's not unlike what's happening in Milwaukee. It's not unlike what's happening in San Diego or what's happened in San Diego. But it, it's more powerful for the Yankees because you do have a historic year out of Aaron Jones because you did have 70 wins basically at the All-Star break. It, it is really a spiral that few teams can recover from. And right now, the way that I look at all these teams, the Milwaukee's, the San Diego's, and especially the New York Yankees is, even if you get in the playoffs, who cares? Because you're not doing anything. You're not going anywhere. You'll hear the rhetoric. Oh, you'll hear it, Chris. You'll hear, well, everyone starts at zero. Well, it's a brand new year. Hey, at least we got into the tournament, right? You'll hear that nonsense. But teams like Milwaukee that have spiraled out of control, San Diego that can't get out of their own way, and the Yankees who are a pathetic bunch of, of losers because their head man's a loser and the guy in front of him is a loser, the guy that owns the team is a loser. Teams like that, they're not going to make any noise. This is it. It's over. I mean, it's done. We're in a position where people are trying to make the best of this. What are you making the best of? Chris, there's no way any of these teams are making any real noise if they even get to the playoffs, and some of them might not get to the playoffs. This has nothing to do, Tommy, with this being your hometown team. We need to talk about the Yankees in this situation because there's a possibility of being historic, right? This is a New York Yankee team that here on this Saturday, here in early September, you have some decent news, you know, when you talk about Aaron Judge having his career-tying 52nd home run, and now he just needs 10 home runs in the final 29 games for the Yankees to break the American League and Roger Maris's record, of course, back in 1961. And then you have horrendous news, which is that these days, Aaron Judge is a one-man army for this team. The New York Yankees, Tommy, had three hits today. They got a Giancarlo Stanton bloop single. You had the home run, and, and then you had a line drive single by Aaron Judge. He had two hits out of their three. This is a Yankee team, Mr. Barton, that has had 13 games with three hits or fewer this season. Only one other squad happens to be my Detroit Tigers has more games. They have 15 games where they have three hits or fewer this season. As for that lead you're talking about, it's been whittled down from 15 and a half to only four games, the smallest it's been since May 11th. At, th at this point, Tampa Bay, you know, the second place team in the AL East, essentially controls their destiny, Tommy. They have, you know, they have four games remaining against the Yankees. They win those and then match New York, you know, in non-head-to-head -head games throughout throughout the rest of, the, of, the, of September and into October. Tampa Bay wins the division. The largest blown division lead in baseball history was 13 games back in 1951 when the Los Angeles Dodgers uh, did, it, did it back in 1951. You know, the Yankees, of course, I, a lot of you know, hardcore Yankee fans, yourself included, uh, obviously will remember that uh, erased 14-game deficit in 1978, though they were in fourth place at the time that never led the division by more than 10 games that season. Uh, I mean, look, this is a Yankee team this year. They were 61-23. and 23. They were playing at a 726 clip back in July, early July, July 8th. They are now 18 and 31 since then, and they went 10 and 18 in August. That's just atrocious, man. I don't know. There's no other way to slice it, cut it up, 
talk about it, discuss it. It is just flat out brutal. And it was New York's worst month since they went 9 and 19 back when Tommy Barton was a young buck, or a younger buck, I should say. Back in 1991 in September, they were 9 and 19. That was a 321 clip they're playing at. So, I mean, it's just, it's just a historic drop off right now, and it would not shock anybody. It would not shock anybody if, if the Yankees were to blow this lead, and then you'd ha- then obviously there would be decisions that we had to be, had to be made in New York, Tommy, and the decisions would be that you know Brian Cashman, after a number of years, the guy's been there forever. You know, I mean, Brian Cashman's been there forever. I watched the you know the uh, ESPN documentary uh, on Derek Jeter, right? The captain. I mean, Brian Cashman has been here through all of this, and it, it could be a very good possibility that he would be ousted along with Aaron Boone if this historic collapse does take place and they are they don't end up winning the division. You know what? I'll give up the division if they got rid of them, but the problem is they won't. If they even yeah. back into the playoffs, they're not getting rid of them. They, they wanted a yes-man, Aaron Boone's a yes-man. That's why they got rid of Girardi. That's why they passed on Don Mattingly. That's why they passed on Buck Showalter. They wanted a yes-man. They wanted a yes-man because Brian Cashman is a disaster. Brian Cashman put together a horrendous roster. That's just reality. And I called it at the time. Aaron, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Josh Donaldson, yeah. what, what was that? $25 million a year? Why? Why? Why Why did that happen at all? We don't know. IKF, useless. Absolutely useless. Aaron Hicks, sure, let's sign him to like a 10-year deal. Well, I mean, what were they doing? This entire team was put together uh, by like a drunken fool. And I'm not saying Brian Cashman drinks. This is somebody just throwing darts on the board. And let me tell you this. Not only the Yankees might get beaten by Tampa, they might get passed by Toronto, who's now only six games back. Hell, the Orioles are only seven and a half games back. Yeah, and don't tell me that I'm, you know, the sky is falling. You just said it. They're the worst team in baseball, basically, in August. This team can't get out of its own way. They've scored three runs in the last three games. Three runs in the last three games. Five of the last six games against Oakland, Los Angeles, and Tampa. They've scored three runs or less. So here's their upcoming schedule, like you said. They play Tampa now four times in the next week. So Tampa could be even with them. Now they get four games against Minnesota. Well, Minnesota has always been the Yankees' whipping child, right? I mean, they, they just beat the you-know-what out of Minnesota time and time again. Then they get Tampa next weekend at Yankee Stadium. At Boston, at Milwaukee, those are not an easy five games. Now you get two games set against Pittsburgh, four against Boston at home. That's a rivalry. And here you go with Toronto. You get three at Toronto at the end of the year, three against Baltimore, and then four against Texas. I'm not joking when I say not only can Tampa pass them, Toronto could pass them. I don't think Baltimore passes them, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that the Yankees spiral so far down that they're in third or maybe fourth place in this division. And and the the playoff percentages is sitting here, 99.9%. Really? I don't know. I know Tim's holding a ticket that now he's nervous about. Tim's holding a ticket for the team win over that I'm nervous about right now as well. You can't sit back and with, what is it, 28 games to play, think that they're a shoo-in to get into the mid-90s. I don't know. 28 games to play. Even if they play, what, 500 baseball, it's 14 wins. That doesn't get you to the magic number. I'm not sure here if the Yankees don't completely and utterly collapse. And when I say collapse, I do mean being passed by the Rays, by the Jays, 
maybe by the Orioles. I think that that's how bad it could get in New York. And Tommy, projecting forward, right? Thinking about what's going to happen after the regular season and once the American League playoffs start. You're not sitting right now, right? If, if you're the New York Yankees and thinking to yourself, oh yeah, this is a team that could absolutely knock off the likes of a team like the Houston Astros or even one of the teams in their division in the American League East that they had to play in the postseason. Even a team like the Seattle Mariners, if, you know, when they find, if they find their way, and it looks like they have a very good possibility, Seattle could find their way into the playoffs. What are your thoughts regarding that when it comes to postseason? And you got to go up against teams that aren't playing like complete garbage, like the New York Yankees are. And, you, and that's when the rubber meets the road, my friend. That's when it actually matters. When you're in the American League playoffs, and you got to take on some of these teams that are that have been gearing up and most likely are going to be playing well going into the postseason come come October. Well, I'll tell you, forget about that. I mean, forget <laughs> competing. I'd rather them not make the playoffs than to go one and out against the Guardians or Minnesota or, or somebody like that. No, yeah. they can't compete with any of them. Here's the one saving grace, and here's the one glimmer of hope for Yankee fans: they're getting a ton of guys back. And they are looking at, I mean, big-time talent. Rizzo's been out, right? Stanton just came back. But they're getting uh, Scott Efrost back. They're getting a lot of bullpen guys back. Luis Severino's on his way back. Nestor Cortez is on his way back. So I, I will give them that, that there is a glimmer of hope because they are getting a ton of talent back. You're still not going to win. You, if you go into the postseason with Josh Donaldson, IKF, Trevino, who I get it was an all-star, and Hicks as your bottom four guys in the lineup, nail it in. Don't even show up for the playoffs. because. It, and let me tell you, this can, not only can this be a historically bad Yankee season, you want the capper? You, you, you want to just, just you know, dive off that bridge here? The, the, we'll, have, we'll, start, we'll close this down and start a suicide hotline. Do you want that here, Chris? How about <laughs> this? The Yankees have the most historic loss ever. Maybe they get passed by two teams, and then they lose Aaron Judge in the offseason. Because it's not only Boone that's a, a complete mess, and it's not just Cashman that's a disaster. It's Hal Steinbrenner who decided not to pay Aaron Judge, and he may be standing there and wearing Dodger blue next year. And it leads us to a nice, smooth transition, right, Tommy? Talking about a New York team in the Yankees and over to the National League. You already brought up the likes of uh, teams like the San Diego Padres taking a nosedive, yet uh, they're still right there holding on to the second wild card in the National League. But the New York Mets... Look pretty solid, my friends. The team that is look, they're they're two games up on the Atlanta Braves, and I think that uh, that iron sharpens iron. When you have you know quality teams at the top of your division, they're going to be battling it out throughout the rest of the regular season. But you've got uh, teams in the likes of uh, Philadelphia, very much in the mix when it comes to the wild card, uh, not necessarily in the division, but in the wild card race. And of course, you've got uh, the battle in the Central, where you've got Milwaukee seven games back in the division but still right there in shouting distance, two and a half back in the wild card race in the National League there. Uh, look, San Diego, uh, the, the Tatis thing really screwed them. That uh, it took a lot of wind out of their sails as far as uh, what their expectations could have been or should be when it comes to the National League playoffs. But it adds a lot of intrigue, doesn't it, Tommy, when it comes to the National League and the playoff run when you've got the New York Mets sitting there atop with 85 wins and 49 losses in the East, and you've got all those teams right around them that are going to be pushing them right up to the end of the regular season. I think the Mets lose that division too. You know, all of a sudden, uh, they got DeGrom back, and the world is going to be great, and uh, Atlanta's going, yeah, we're, we're still the champs, guys. 
here we come. Won four games in a row. Uh, the Mets lost another one today. How, how are you losing? A, you got Scherzer's on the mound, minus 440, by the way. And you lose that game 7-1 to to Washington. Absolutely disaster. What about Milwaukee? I know they won today. Corbin Burns has a 7.49 ERA his last few starts. He doesn't look good. Uh, look, to me, it looks like the Dodgers and everybody else, but St. Louis is still holding court. Atlanta's right there. National League is getting very, very fun. I do think that not only are the Yankees going to lose their grip, I think the Mets lose their grip too. Tim called it about a month ago uh, when it, well, Atlanta was about six, six and a half games out. And Tim said, I think Atlanta takes this division. I said, I don't know. I don't know if they can make all that kind of pushback. Right now, I'm looking at this. I know the Mets have a breeze of a schedule from here on out. Um, but Atlanta, I think Atlanta catches the Mets. And the Cardinals, don't they? The Cardinals just to be, keep being the Cardinals, don't they, Tommy? I mean, they're sitting there floating at 78-55. You know, they got a solid lead in the Central. A lot of us, myself included, thought Milwaukee was an absolute team that could win a World Series this year. They're, you know, they're almost eight games back. And then, uh, of course, you just mentioned the Dodgers. I mean, that is pretty eye-opening when you look at that record, the 50 games over 500. And, uh, you know, the Padres Padres are, are 14 games over 500, Tommy, and they're 18 games back in the division. So I think I'm uh, right on board with you there. I think the Dodgers right there are going are gonna to be on cruise control. But uh, how about this Cardinals team? They just, they just continue to just keep hovering around in the National League and being a team that you got to deal with come postseason. And Wayne writes a good story. The bullpen's great, but no one's talking or giving enough credit to Paul Goldschmidt, who is a legitimate triple threat right now. He, he's a triple crown threat right now. What an amazing, amazing season for Paul Goldschmidt. And you look up and you go, 331, 107 RBIs, 34 home runs, uh, 97 runs. He's within a shouting distance of being a triple crown winner and this would be the quietest triple crown in the history of baseball. But what I got I got to uh, chime in with this though real quick. I'm sure Yankee fans are very happy to see the team that is in the basement of the American League East, right Tommy, sitting there, you know, two games under 500. And look, I get it. There a lot of those teams in that division are right around 500, but it's still got to be extra sweet for those Bronx Bomber fans there uh, in New York to see the Red Sox there at the bottom of the division. That's what I mean. Boone and Cashman ruined everything that's good in the world. I can't enjoy Aaron Judge's race to the real home run championship. I can't enjoy the Red Sox being in last place because it's been a miserable summer. Are you kidding me? Yeah, you know, look, it really is. I, I, I'm not overstating. It has taken the air out of Yankee fans just ridiculously, ridiculously. And, and I like that you did say the American League. Let, let's be honest. 60 home runs is the standard bearer. Babe Ruth still holds the record. You want to give it to Marat, Roger Maris? Hey, that's fine with me too. It's 61. Sure, we could do it to Roger Maris at 61. That's it. There's no McGuire. There's no Sosa. There's no Bonds. If Aaron Judge hits 62 home runs this year, Aaron Judge is the major league leader for home runs for a single season. I mean, can we all come to that conclusion here? I'm on board with you there. Absolutely. That is the record that should be still considered given what transpired there in the late 90s in Major League Baseball. Quick note from a personal note, Tommy, obviously being an American League Central fan and a Detroit Tiger fan, it's been a disastrous season for the Tigers sitting at 51-82. and 82. But it is a division that is, quite frankly, 
either just just wallowing in mediocrity. I don't. I, I, nobody nobody is going to be scared of the Minnesota Twins or the Cleveland Guardians come postseason time or the Chicago White Sox. The White Sox, quite frankly, right, Tommy? They're a team a lot of us thought uh, could absolutely be uh, in the discussion when it came to the Fall Classic. It has just not been the season that we expected from the pale hose there on the south side of Chicago. Yeah, I, I thought that they would be a dangerous team. And look, Dylan Cease um, is a Cy Young candidate, but they just haven't been able to put it together. Maybe making the late push here, they've closed the gap a little bit as well. Speaking right, of, Chris, speaking, by the way, Tommy, quickly, speaking of Dylan Cease, one out of way today, right, from a no-hitter for the, uh, for the uh, guy on the hill for the uh, Chicago White Sox. Yeah, he, he looks good. I'm Outside of Verlander, he, he's probably number two for the Cy Young for me. Yeah. Uh, Chris, it has been fantastic to have you on. I'm sorry I didn't leave any time for the WNBA. We're going to have to get to that another day. Uh, Darn it. <laughs> Darn it all. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> Chris, it has been absolutely fantastic. Guys, tomorrow night, me and Tim are going to continue our NFL previews. We're going to go over uh, all the teams like we did last week. Go continue that trip. And then next week... We will be live next Saturday night. I'll be sitting right next to Tim Unglesby at Cabo Wabo. Come out, hang out with us, check it out after the show. We'll talk. We'll have a good time. Get on the show as well. We love to get the predictions. Chris, I'm going to get your official prediction in the Super Bowl and all that that day as well. Guys, go check out TomBartonSports.com. TomBartonSports.com. Hey, another two-in-one day. I will take two-in-one days all day long, every single day. That's what I give the members TomBartonSports.com. Go check out Tom Barton Sports over on Twitter. Check me out at Believe on the Believe Podcast Network. Believe in betting on the Believe Podcast Network, as well as my other podcast, Wagering Week. So I'm all over the place tomorrow morning. Sports Garden Network, hashtag SGN Sports Garden. I'll be on 100 stations plus in America doing my two-hour show, Wanna Bet Weekend Edition. I'm going to go over everything that's coming up for the next week, everything that's coming up for the Thursday night game as well. I don't have a play on the game, but I do have a couple of prop plays. Do you want to listen to that? Everybody, have a very good night. Thank you again to Chris Wynn. We'll talk to you tomorrow night. No plan B, just a one-way ticket. This is what it takes.